Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. So we are looking at hope today as we close out our three-week series on He's Got the Whole World Still in His Hands. And I think the best place for us to begin with is just looking at a verse that is worthy of us memorizing. It's uh, Psalm 33, verse 22. Go ahead and put that on the screen, Max. Thank you. It is. So take a look at this. Pay attention to this. This is something that I think you uh, want to highlight And it's something that I think you need to refer to. It's something that I know that I need to refer to on a day-by-day basis in my life. And it says this, may your unfailing love, may whose unfailing love? It's God's unfailing love. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our what? Hope. Even as we put our hope in you. Uh, And so let's just take a minute here. I want you to say this with me. And so say it with me, please. And I'll lead us here. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Psalm 33, 22. Let's say it again one more time. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. That's the reality that is. God's love is so great. It is unfailing. And uh, David was asking, Lord, I want to experience your unfailing love even in the middle of putting hope in you. You see, the reality is, is we put our hope in God, we experience so much more than just hope. We experience God's love and understand that it is unfailing, meaning it will not, it's without limit. It is, uh, it will not let us down. And, uh, and, and we can trust in him as we place our hope in him. And so today, as we're wrapping up our series, what we're doing here is wanting to deal with a subject head on. And that subject is, uh, how do we remain people of hope in a hopelessly broken world? Uh, The reality, there is no doubt, our world is broken. Our world is messed up beyond repair. And and I'm going to say something that's going to be a real positive uh, positive message to you do-gooders out there. You know, those people who you, you're make, you make sure to, to spend a couple of hours in some uh, social group outside of the church to, to, you know, help people learn how to read or to educate prisoners or to make sure the homeless have clothes on. Uh, it, for those of you who do all these efforts to try to fix society, I'm going to tell you this right now, uh, you're, you're not going to fix it. You're not going to fix it. It is hopeless. Now, now, hear me clearly. I'm not telling you to stop doing those acts of charity, those acts of kindness. I'm not, I'm not telling you to stop. Continue to push on. That's our call. That's our mandate as Christ followers. But I'm telling you, you're going to get bummed out really fast if you believe that you're, by you feeding, going to a soup line once a month and helping feed people that are poor, that that's going to somehow fix everything because sin and because of the causes of the hopelessness in our world are so big, I'm telling you, there is no human effort that can go about that can fix it. Oh, governments have tried, haven't they? And we've poured trillions and trillions of dollars in fixing society, and it is still broken. Uh, oh, oh, you know, all sorts of different entities, they work and they create all sorts of efforts and think tanks and commissions and all sorts of ways to try to create and bring hope into our world, into our hopelessly broken world. And you know what? Our world stays hopeless, doesn't it? It stays broken. 
And, uh, and so we're looking today at how do we maintain our hope even when we're in this hopelessly broken world. Before we even move on, it's important for us to take a look and think about hope. Hope. You know, what is hope? Hope. Now, I know you're not supposed to define a word with that word, but I'm doing that today. I apologize. Because uh, as I think about hope, you know, and how do I get a handle on what does hope look like? Well, I realize that, you know, I, I place hope. I place a desire for something better. I place hope in a person, a thing, or an idea that gives and offers security, it offers meaning, it offers safety for us. That's, that's what I place hope in. And so all of us, we uh, find ourselves putting hope in something that gives us security, it gives us meaning, it gives us, gives us a sense of safety in our lives. You know, for many of us, we place hope in our marriage, right? We look to our marriage partner as that person who will always be there and always support me and always give me security, safety, meaning. Uh, we find ourselves with work, many of us. Work gives us meaning. It gives us a sense of belonging. It gives us a sense of security. And so I put my hope in my work that I have hope in this world. I have hope in my life because I go to work every day or five days a week doing X, Y, or Z. You know, some of us find ourselves placing hope in our church. You know, I know people that people that will say, well, I go to the largest church in the county seat. I, I go to the largest church in our in our neighborhood, in our area. And that gives me hope because when I look around, I see 10,000 other people worshiping with me. And then, you know, another person will say, well, I, I, I have hope in the fact that I go to the smallest church in our county. And it, there's 40 people. And what that means is we know each other intimately and we all spend time together and we all share and we all, uh, we all do life together in the past. Pastor knows my name. The pastor, I can call him up. You know, he looks at the, the pastor of a 10,000 member church and says, Yeah, you, you can't call your pastor up on a moment's notice because you got an issue going. And that guy might say, Well, yeah, I can because I donate $2 million a year to church, you know. But, but if you don't, then you probably don't have access to a pastor of 10,000 member church, right? That's, 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 that, that debate goes back and forth with that. And, you know, some people, they put their hope in their pastor, don't they? And they, well, because I see that guy or see that person up there doing his thing, then, then everything's okay. And I have hope in this world because I have hope in, I have hope in my pastor. You see, for us, I have a prop here for us. I'm going to go get. For us, hope is like this ladder here. So if we were to come up with a word picture for hope, hope is a ladder. And the reality is we place our ladder. Some of you just held your breath, didn't you? Some of you just held your breath. Hey, I'm not foolish. I came here on Thursday to make sure that would happen. Make, make sure I wasn't going to tear up anything here. We place our ladder on a wall. We place our ladder against something, our hope ladder, hoping that it, it will stay, right? Now, here's the reality. For those of you who are like over 30 years old, you know this truth is, is real and is evident, and that is we place our hope ladder against a marriage or work or someone else out there or some ideal or something. Sooner or later, what happens? That thing that we place our ladder against, it implodes, doesn't it? It falls apart. That marriage breaks up. That work that you, that job that you put your hope in, all of a sudden sales numbers are down and, or maybe the company sells to, to some outside entity and your job is gone and you, your hope is gone. 
And, and you see, most of us, we've had that happen one or two times. And for, for most humans, we're pretty resilient creatures, aren't we? And we can, we can have one thing implode in our lives and we can continue to find hope somewhere else. You know, that ladder, that, that ladder falls down. We have the ability to pick it up and place it on another wall or put it on somewhere else. And we, we can move on in that. But what I found is for some of us, we have a series of not one implosion, but two or three. We, have, we string out all of these disappointments in life to the point where for some of us, we have so many times where our hope, the things we've placed our hope in fails that we end up getting to a point where we just don't care anymore, right? We just say, whatever, why do I even try? Why do I even wake up in the morning and give a rip about life? Why do I even care anymore? And because of that, then you kind of live in a hopeless uh, you kind of go through life in a hopeless state of mind where you're just like, you know, why do I even try to put my ladder against a wall? Because it's just going to fall apart at some point. Uh, and, 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 you know, this is something we don't do purposely, but it's often unconscious. You know, it's, uh, it's just something that just begins to take effect of our lives. And, and that's how we find ourselves living then. And so the sad thing is many of us, uh, we tend to end up becoming hopeless people. And so today, as I already mentioned, I want to deal with how do we maintain our hope, even in the midst of the world that we live in that is hopeless. You know, our world is hopeless. Our world is hopelessly broken, and it's not getting any better, folks, uh, in the season that we're living. So how do we maintain this? Well, I want to turn to a scripture that I argue and I believe is maybe the, the best place where it deals with hope head on, and that is in Romans chapter 8. And so if you have a copy of Scripture, uh, turn with me to Romans 8, okay? Oh, and for the record, I may as well just just uh, just let the cat out of the bag here. I'm already rushing to the end of my sermon, but just so that you know where I'm headed here, uh, Scripture tells us, the Bible tells us that we're to put our ladder on the wall of God. Okay, so I know that's going to be a shocker to you that I'm saying that you need to put your ladder on God's wall here. Uh, you didn't see that coming, right, Glenn? You didn't see that was going to happen at all. Um, and, and, and I say that uh, realizing that that's a message that, A, I, you expect me to say it, but also, B, I expect that most of you are going to be like, yeah, thanks, Tony. I'll, I'll write that note down, but I'm not putting my ladder on God's wall. Oh, I say I am in church, but I'm really not doing that. And the reason being is because uh, I realize and I recognize that in America, you know, we do a great job building walls. You know, we can build great walls to put our hope in. Uh, we work hard. We work smart. We have tons of resources. We network with people around us. And America has really been a story of people who are great wall builders that usually those walls are very strong. Usually those walls are things that people can put their hope on. And over the years, we develop a message or a thinking that, you know what, no matter what problem I have, no matter what difficulty I find, my wealth, my education, the government, my work ethic, my exercise, my medication that I'm taking, whatever it is that I'm putting my hope in, it's going to get me through. It's going to get me through. But I, I share to you that even no matter how strong your wall is that you put your ladder of hope on, all walls other than God will ultimately disappoint. All walls other than the Lord will ultimately implode on you, will ultimately fall down on you. And if you're placing your ladder of hope 
and the wall of anything in this world, you're going to be disappointed. And that's what we see here in Romans chapter 8. Now, I'm going to just tell you, there's going to be some people that you might be frustrated with me because what we're doing is we're looking at a, a large passage of Scripture, and I'm not going to go verse by verse here. I'm going to just hit some verses, point some verses out, and I'm going to walk through some very quickly. And I would say to you this, if that's you, if you're like frustrated with that, that I invite you tomorrow, uh, if you're a Bible reader, and I hope you are, then read through all of Romans 8. Uh, to, by yourself on your own and and uh, and check and check what I'm saying. I invite you to to check out everything that I every point that I'm making here and see if it's lining up with the spirit with the heart of this scripture here and uh, see where we're at because we begin Romans eight begins speaking it talks about the fall and it talks about the sin it talks about sin in this world. Uh, Paul is is writing to the Roman church and he's explaining to these new Christians why we're where we're at. Why they are where they're at in their life. And he's starting with sin and how sin enters into the world through Adam and Eve, and there's a fall. And the interesting thing is this. If most of us, we think of sin more than likely as, as an incident, don't we? A specific activity that has happened. And isolated acts that happen all around the world. And maybe those isolated act, acts are quite often, but they're still isolated. Well, Paul is challenging us here. He sees sees sin not as isolated acts, but as a fatal disease that infects everyone. All things, animals, creation, the the planet, uh, and especially humans, all are infected with this sin. And so sin is not just some isolated act that you perpetrate onto someone else or that someone perpetrates upon you, but sin comes in and takes over. I mean, it it takes over uh, your thought patterns. It takes over how you operate, how you do life. And along with that, since this is a disease, Paul is saying, everything that has this disease will die. Everything will die, die, death. That's it. And then he continues on, and he says in, in verse 20, verse 20 here we see, for the creation was subjected to frustration. The, 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 uh, the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Subjected it. So we're seeing here Paul saying uh, that we don't get what we want. The creation doesn't get what they want. And, and so we're frustrated. Why are we frustrated? Because we're trying to stop the decay. We're trying to stop the death around us. And think about that in your own life. Think about how in your own life there's decay and there's death and you do everything you can to try to stop it from happening, to try to slow it down at least, to try to minimize its results in your life. And what does this leave us is we're, we feel ourselves, we're like that person that's trying to push against a train, you know, that's moving out of, out of its station. And no matter how hard you push, that train just keeps on going through you. And so we're frustrated, Paul says. But that frustration is there for a purpose. Why? Because the one who subjected us to this fall in hope, it says in the last part of verse 20, and it goes on in 21, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. That's what 21 says here. Uh, Paul is, is saying something. This is, this is a head-scratcher here. He, he's saying, hey, sin comes in this world because of, of human's choice, and it brings death, it brings decay, it brings disease, it brings frustration, but then Paul says, but you know what? God is using that to bring hope. God is using that sin that is in your life 
to draw you into his kingdom. Huh? Huh? That's a mind bender there, isn't it? How can God use death and disease? But we see Paul is saying he does. He does do that. He does do that. And in verse 22, he continues on. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. You see, we're seeing, Paul's saying, because of this, this war that we're seeing of trying to deal with this sin, this decay, there's, there, there's a longing within us that creates, that's desiring something better. We're wanting deliverance from sin. We're wanting deliverance from decay. We're wanting deliverance from death. And then verse 25, Paul continues on, and he's saying in verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. There is the seat of hope right there. We're, we're hoping for something that we don't have. What, what is it that our heart, and I don't want to just rush through this. What is it that your heart truly wants? What are you hoping for? Very quickly, we might say, well, man, I'm hoping for a promotion at work. No, no, there's something deeper. There's, it's deeper than that. Well, I hope, for, I hope for just a weekend alone. I would like a weekend just to myself. No, no, those are things you'd like. Yes, I get that, but there's something deeper in all of us. And I would argue that what we're talking about is experiencing peace with God and peace with humanity around us, uh, to experience a freeness that, that none of us have ever experienced, a freeness from sin, a freeness from death, where death no longer has you in its grips, where sin does not just bully you and beat us up, Paul would say. He's saying, in this moment, we are hoping, we are hoping for something that God has for us. And, and what, what does he say? He goes, we wait patiently. We wait patiently for God to give us what he has promised us. So you see what Paul is saying here, and, and this speaks, this hits us square in the face because somewhere along the way, there is a theology out there, an understanding of how God works that we think that if I pray to ask Christ in my life, if I get baptized, if I go to church on a regular basis, if I do the right things and try to be responsible, that I should not have any effects of sin in my life. I should not have any bad things happen to me. I should not, uh, I should not have a desire to do bad things, right? If I just do these things, if I do the things that God is asking me to do, then life will be roses for me uh, for the rest of my life. Now, I know if you've attended Northbridge for any time, you you, you've heard the, the, you've never heard that up here. You know, we talk very squarely about how life is tough and even doing the right things uh, ends, can end us in, in bad consequences. And sometimes just injustice occurs. Oftentimes injustice occurs in people's lives. You've not heard that theology, but many people believe that still, even if they go to a church that doesn't practice that, doesn't believe it, there's still just this natural thing inside of us that, that will will say that if I do the right things, only good should happen to me, right? If I just only do good, then good will come back to me. And so why is it that bad things happen to good people? I mean, whole books have been written about that. Well, what Paul is saying is, Paul is saying that, 
No, he, he's teaching us here. No, we have not received the fullness of what God has offered us in salvation. We have not experienced the fullness of the salvation that God is offering us. Now, real quickly, if I was a cult leader, then I would now take us down a dark path, right? And say, because of that, let's do this to do something sinister. But what does Paul do? Because he's not a cult leader. He says, so because of that, we wait patiently. The Christian life is one of patience, friends. We have not seen the fullness of God. We've not seen his goodness yet. We've not seen everything that God has for our salvation, everything that he desires for us. And so what do we do? Do we do something toxic to rush it? No. To rush its presence in? No, we don't do that. Do we do something violent because we're mad at those people who are opposing us? No, we don't do that. What we do is we wait patiently. We wait patiently for God's for God to reveal himself, for hope to manifest itself in, in the fullest of forms. Verse 25 is a call from Paul to not give up hope. And then he goes on in verses 26 through 30, and he's basically saying that, hey, God, not only as you're waiting patiently, God understands. God understands your frustration. God understands your pain. God understands your travails and your issues, the things you're fighting with. And because of that, he is there and he hears you in your prayers. Uh, Paul even makes a very bold promise. And he says, those times, those times that your prayer is so painful, you're in such a painful circumstance. Have you ever been there? That time that something's going on in your life and it is so hurtful that when you try to pray, you can't even pray. And all you do is you just say, oh God, oh, and you groan, you just groan. Paul makes this bold claim that even in your groanings, the Holy Spirit intercedes and he's, he adds words to your groanings so those prayers are understood by God. Even when you come to him, it's amazing. Even when you come to God and all you can do is just cry and just say, God, oh, I hurt so bad. And you can't even say that maybe because you are hurting so bad. You're just there in his presence. And Paul is saying, even in that time, even in that time, my spirit knows what you're saying to me. And I'm there with you. I'm there with you is the promise. And then we, we turn a corner now. We turn a corner. Are you ready for this? We, we see in verse 31 and 32, as we're looking at, we've looked at the negative, we've looked at the painful thing, we've looked at the reasons why we should not have hope. And then what does Paul say? What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? What Paul is saying here is if we center our hope in God, he will not, he will not disappoint. He will not disappoint you in the long run, in the long run, over the lifetime, over the full course of your life. You will say at the end of your days, God was good and God was there with me through the thick and the thin, through the thick and the sin. He was there and all of the times in which hope was gone, he was there and I know his presence was with me. And here's the big finish here in verse 38. Paul continues on and he says this, he, he writes to the church, he says, for I am convinced, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, 
nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He said God's unfailing love will will be with us. Now, we have been used to, especially if you've grown up in church, you've heard the poetic language, you know, neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything will separate us from the love of God. But fill in the blank with the things that you deal with in your life. Because what Paul is communicating here is anything that you can think of that could possibly separate you from your hope, it cannot separate you from God's love. It cannot separate you from the hope that we have in God. So fill in the blank with those things in our life. What about this? No job can separate us from the, from the love of God. No job loss can separate us from the love of God. No disease can separate us from the love of God. No loss of money or loss of income can separate us from the love of God. No, no divorce can separate us from the love of God. No errant child who's making bad decisions can separate us from the love of God. No neighbor who we're having a fight with can separate us from the love of God. No frustration I have with my politics or the world around me can separate us from the love of God. You see, I've already said this and I gave gave my message away. We have been invited to lean our ladder against God's love. It's best demonstrated, uh, and it's, we understand this by understanding that Jesus died for our sin, and, and because of Jesus' death and his resurrection, we're now invited to be a part of his family, of God's family. And so I ask the question of this. I ask the question as we consider where, where do we place our hope? Do we place it on something that's shaky, something that's unstable? Do we place it on a wall that we, maybe we do have a lot of confidence of, hey, this wall will hold us up? Or do we pick up our ladders of hope and do we find where God is? And do we put them on something that is sure, something that we can know will hold us? And that being the love and the mercy of God. Can we, do we, will we do that? Do we, do we plan? Yes, yes, we plan. I'm not telling you to, to walk out of here and quit planning for your life. Do we dream? Yes, we keep on dreaming. Do we work? Do we do, we do, uh, do we pursue things? Do we build things? Yes, yes. I'm not, don't hear me ever say to stop doing all the things that you're doing throughout the work week, throughout your life, because somehow those are wrong and somehow God doesn't appreciate those. No, you continue to do those things. But do we put our hope in our plans? Do we put our hope in our individual dreams? Do we put our hope in our efforts and our saving the money and where our kids are going? The answer to that is no, we don't. No. But what we do do here, as we look at having hope in a hopeless world, is we loosen our grip from around our plans, our treasures, our ambitions. And then when we do that, our plans and our treasures and ambitions will loosen their grips from around our hearts. Do you see that? Do you see the difference? 
when we move our ladder from placing it on a wall of self-security, on dependence from other things other than God, that is our way of loosening our grip from our ambitions, from our, from our plans, from our, from our visions of what we see as a preferred future. And when we begin to do that, you find that those things that had a stranglehold on you, they, they loosen themselves. And so I just simply ask you a question here. Where have you placed your hope in life? Don't answer so quickly. Don't do the church answer and be like, well, God, God. Well, I'm really Where do you place your hope in your life for your family, for the wellness of your kids? Because answering that question will answer, we'll be able to answer the question, will I be able to have hope no matter what happens? Because if we're placing our hope in things that are going to implode, then I'm going to tell you the answer for you is you will lose hope. You will lose hope and you will make bad decisions and you will, make, you will do things that will be destructive to you and to your family. You will, do, make the things, you will do things and say things that in years from now you would wish you could take back, that you will be embarrassed, that you've been embarrassed that you've said, right? But if you place your ladder on the hope of God, I guarantee you, no matter what hits your life, you will not lose hope in any of it. Some of us today, we need to move our ladders. Some of us need to move our ladders. Or or we just need to come to grips that we're going to go through long periods of our life where we have hopelessness. That's really your choice right there. Either move your ladder or choose to live and lean into hopeless scenarios. And here's the scenario that you'll have. Here's your cycle. And I've seen it as a pastor, a person that's been in ministry for 35 years. I've seen it in way too many people's lives. They, they find something that they put their hope on, they lean their ladder on it, and they go through a period of high. And it might, that high might last uh, a few weeks, a few months, or even a few years where they have hope in that thing. And then when that thing comes crushing down, then they go through this hopeless Valley that is so sad and it's so painful and it's it's uh, one that is so preventable too you know and they go through this time where they're just floundering around and again maybe that could last a few weeks it could last a few months it could last a few years until they go and they find something else a new wall to prop their ladder on and they go place their ladder on that and then that hope comes crashing down and it's just this cycle that just keeps on happening how can you have hope? In a hopeless world, how can you avoid that cycle and just have a consistent hope, a consistent faith throughout all of your life? By placing the ladder of your hope on the wall of God. The choice is yours. For you, maybe it's just a reminder of just saying, God, you know, I place, I'm choosing today to place my ladder of hope squarely in your love. Help me, help me, God, to loosen my grip on the things that I tend to place my hope in. And help me, Lord, to, to place it in you and in your presence and your safety and your confidence. Why is that? Because we go back to Psalm 33, 22. Max, can you pop that verse back up for me? Psalm 33, 22. 
Not Romans. There we go. And what is what are we reminded of? How we started our our time today off with? May your unfailing love, God, be with us, even as we put our hope in you. May your unfailing love, Lord, be with us. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Let's pray. And Father, we come before you right now. And Lord, I'm just going to be silent and just invite your spirit to speak to us. And the question is simple. Do we put our hope in you or have we been putting our hope in other things? God, forgive us when you, we find that our hope is put in our 401k, our hope is put in the kind of home we live or how clean our home is or how nice and presentable our home is. Father, forgive us when we put our hope in the kind of job we have or the kind of money we make with our job or the fact that so many people call us boss. Father, forgive us because some of us place our hope in our kids and the fact that we have an aspiring doctor or a lawyer in our home that's going to be better than us. Forgive us, God, when we look and think that hope is in our kids' lives. Father, forgive when we put our hope in our health and our strength and what we can accomplish with our bodies. We can run faster than anyone or we can lift more than anyone or we can do a talent that no one else can do. Forgive us, God, when that's where we find our hope. Lord, help us to loosen our grips on our plans, on our visions, on our, our work. And God, may we continue the process of moving our ladders to you, Father. These things I pray in your Son's powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Northbridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northbridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.